This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit candowealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to this special Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heal and I'm joined today by The Spectator's Katie Balls and The Financial Times' Stephen Bush. Thank you both for being here. The subject of today, we are talking about the Labour Party, which seems to have a bit of a spring in its step recently. Confident leads in the polls and for this week's uh, magazine, Katie talked to the Shadow Chancellor, Rachel Reeves. Stephen, just wondered, you know, two years or so out from an election, how do you think Labour's feeling at this point in the Parliament? Well... I think the really important thing to understand about the psychology of the Labour Party is, you know, okay, basically with the exception of Nadia Whittam, the youngest MP in the House, every member of the Parliamentary Labour Party remembers the 1992 general election when they led in the polls, led right until the end. You had a fractious, some would say ungovernable Conservative Party led by a leader who'd come in after a you know election winner, was seen as fundamentally decent, but one of, you know, destined to defeat... And then unexpectedly won. And you can see many of the parallels there with, with Rishi Sunak. And then all of them lived through and fought, and in some cases were staffers on, or you know, Keir Starmer, of course, was first elected in 2015, where once again they led in the polls and then lost. I hesitate over the word unexpectedly. Unexpectedly in terms of where the polls and the bookies were. I think for a lot of people in Westminster it was perhaps not as big a surprise as 1992 was. But... That means you speak to people in the Labour Party and it sometimes feels that the the two groups of people in Westminster who most believe that the Conservatives can still win are the cadre of ultra-loyalists around Rishi Sunak and everyone in the (laughs) Labour Party. Everyone's like, nah, the Tories are gone. But they do still have anxieties about, you know, the kind of their big three vulnerabilities, you know, Brexit... Immigration, although they are less anxious about that because of some of the slightly self-inflicted difficulties that the government has on it, and then tax, right? One of their big fears is that we know that at the next election... Well, the weird irony is that the next election we're going to have a Conservative Party which is going to claim that it's going to do all these painful spending cuts, which I think everyone knows are not really going to happen, versus a Labour Party which is going to claim that it's not going to raise taxes on the average person, which I think, again, we know is not a promise they will keep. But those anxieties about labour and tax are, are something that really keep them keep them up at night. And those anxieties about labour and business, which, of course, uh, brings us seamlessly to uh, Katie's interview. Yeah, Katie, what was your sense of Rachel Reeves at this point in terms of we've seen this week with the Labour Business Conference and Labour's made a real effort to reach out to business. I mean, how far do you think that Labour has got the business community in terms of supporting it for the next election? So I think it was clear from anyone who attended, which everyone on this podcast did, Labour Party conference this year that they have, you know, business interest in them and actually a lot of corporates down there the exhibition hall full but also just a sense that lots of people there trying to work out what was going to happen and not with a sense of dread I remember going to some of those Corbyn Labour Party conferences where you would see a few figures who work for the you know various institutions but they're more just you didn't get the sense they were there thinking okay this could be coming it was more more just trying to work out what on earth was going on so I think we have seen with some of the big endorsements too, or you know, business figures coming out. For example, you know, the Tesco boss John Allen is among the senior business leaders who addressed the Labour Business Party conference. Labour are being seen as a 
centre ground option on the economy and being taken seriously. When it comes to Rachel Reeves, it's interesting in the interview, you know, she has lots of reasons to have a pef and stuff, as she mentioned. I mean, you just need to look at the polls. But speaking to her about, uh, you know, since she was made shadow chancellor, she said, you know, she had various priorities, but the first to be trusted on the public finances. And she recalled how at Labour conference, she gave a speech and you often have when you expect the person to stand up and you know, cheer the audience. I think with Labour, it tends to be something on the NHS, Tories, low taxes. You know, you know what you think your crowd pleasers are. And she's, you know, Labour is party of fiscal responsibility and everyone stood up and cheered. And she was surprised, you know, and I think Pat McFadden, who's shadow chief secretary of the Treasury, said, you know, your job is done. So I think there's lots of work going on there. I think what is interesting is just Rachel Reeves does accept, you know, the OBR forecast she accepts all those which means that you're suddenly in a situation where by that logic you don't have many options in terms of spending at the next election or you know if you are going to do that are you going to raise taxes and unsurprisingly she is reluctant as are many other figures in the shadow cabinet to get too drawn on this but what would a Labour government mean in terms of does that mean higher taxes as Stephen points out I think there's some scepticism even if the Tories were to somehow win a fifth term that they would bring all these spending cuts in I'm slightly sceptical that even put them on the election leaflets but we'll have to see um, these things can happen and when I said to Rachel Reeves well do you think taxes are too high because if you're not going to do spending cuts we're looking at tax rises I mean she can talk about growing the economy which is you know, the big pitch from Labour is we will grow the economy more than the Tories will. But of course, that is a long term project. So I said, well, what about the current tax burden? She said it was too high on working people. Now, that obviously suggests that you're going to go more towards business taxes. So would a Labour Party be thinking you know, business taxes are fairer than personal taxes? And she said, well, I'm more interested in closing loopholes, points to non-DOM, independent schools. Obviously, all these things are quite small figures if you think about the general picture. But she did talk about how a Labour Party could make fairer choices which I think while I might not say it does to me I don't know what Stephen thinks that is business taxes probably more where they're going to aim towards yeah I mean I think oppositions always tend to overrate the amount of money you can raise by taxing assets because ultimately the value of assets is often partly set by the expectation of future taxes right you can see this right if you go to any estate agent in most of the country not here in London where essentially everyone is having to pay stamp duty on their their housing acquisitions anywhere at this point but you know before many of the changes to stamp duty you essentially kind of had like oh and this house is at this band and this house is at this band and of course the second you change how things are taxed you change that incentive and you change that you change behavior but so they will i think you're exactly right they will be looking at taxes on assets loopholes dividends income but of course that's something George Osborne talks about in opposition. And one of the reasons why he has closed that gap is they essentially worked out there was a point where you could increase it, where you would increase revenue, and a point where you just got behaviour change. I think that is exactly where, where they're at. I think the other interesting point in terms of their relationship with business, right, is you had also at the same conference the head of Aviva saying that the mini-budget had been divorced from reality. And the kind of the trauma experience of the trust budget and what that has done to relations between, between the yeah. government and business. And then you have a prime minister who is in every sense an upgrade, but is, you know, a committed Brexiteer, which many business leaders are and weren't, who, you know, he's less enthusiastic on the green agenda than many business leaders are, which is one of the reasons why Keir Starmer was, was much better received at the CBI than he was, even though they both were saying the same unhappiness in cause, causing things on immigration. But all of this does come back exactly to the fact that 
yeah, look, you can raise like, well, I was about to say you can maybe raise 1.7 billion. One of the odd choices Jeremy Hunt made, and what I thought was otherwise a very well-judged yeah. autumn statement, was to come out and go, yes, it's 1.7 billion. But yeah, you can raise 1.7 billion here and there on things like changing the taxable status of some types of private tuition. But these are not sums of money that you can transform policing. You, know, you can do things about the various demands for wages and the, you know, the labour shortages we're seeing right across the public realm. So they are going to, they do have this big vulnerability and this big difficulty on taxes. So we're talking about labour here, but sort of to reframe it slightly, you mentioned two things. First of all, you mentioned the mini budget. I mean, what potential do you think that has to be is comparable to Black Wednesday of 1992? Um, what does that mean for Labour's chances? And the second thing I wanted to ask, we mentioned at the start of this programme about Brexit immigration. I think perhaps you've written before about how the Tories, for whatever reason, don't particularly want to talk about immigration because of some of the issues around sort of small boats and Brexit has its own sort of pitfalls. Taxation seems to me of those three, perhaps the most likely for maybe the Tories to try and get some clear blue water with Labour on. What are the pitfalls for Labour to watch out for over the next sort of two years in order to keep this lead as it is? So I think the pitfall for Labour is, that ironically, the reason why lots of businesses are more sympathetic to the Labour Party than they've been before is in privately what they will essentially say is exactly what we're saying here. And we all, we all know that, that when push comes to shove, Labour will do broad-based tax base rises because that's the only way that you tackle the visible pressures that there are in the public realm. I think it's pretty obvious to most people that the voters do not want the state to get smaller than it is, right? So if you want to be ambitious on spending, you've got to be ambitious ambitious on revenue raising. But I think that that's kind of the, the elite consensus, even among bits of the elite that are sympathetic to Labour is, don't worry, they're lying on tax. That's essentially impossible for them to fight, right? I, for example, wrote a couple of, of weeks ago that I thought when push comes to shove, Labour will, you know, will just break their promises on tax. Well, if the Shadow Treasury team can phone me and go, well, we think you're wrong as long as you like, but they can't, you can't convince someone that you are being, being honest if they think you're being dishonest. And I think that is a real, a real problem for them, right? That's exactly why they're worried on tax, right? What tends to happen with political parties is that they say something and we then apply, you know, both voters and pundits, our general perception of that party's sort of values to it, right? So we hear the Conservatives say, oh, maybe it's time to rebalance spending choices between the young and the old and we go well you're dependent on the votes of pensioners so i'm sure you believe that but you know when push comes to shove we think you'll you'll stick with what you've got and we hear labor politicians say oh well no broad-based tax rise and we're like mm, but what you really care about is increasing public spending you know looking after the poorest in society so i reckon you're probably lying about the you know when push comes to shove you'll break the tax promise and that i think is the biggest vulnerability i think yeah you're exactly right oh, look immigration which has generally been a conservative strength it's pretty clear that the government does still think and they can get some joy out of it. But broadly speaking, and look, I think Jeremy Hunt was exactly right to prioritise health and education and using the automatic stabilisers of the triple lock and universal credit in this downturn. But the decision he's made to cut home office budgets in real terms means that the small boat stuff will be worse at the next election. It just will be. There will be more undetected migrants in the underground economy, and there's, of course, the underlying problem that it looks like the beginnings of ongoing military confrontation between Rwanda and some of its neighbours. So this deal becomes this thing where it's just like, can we successfully deport people to Rwanda? No. Does this lead to embarrassing interviews where British ministers have to be like, I love the Rwandan government and I have no criticisms <laughs> to say about it? Yes. So I think, you know, although I'm 
speaking to someone in government the other day and saying, like, well, look, I think, you know, yeah, they asked me if I thought they could win. I said, yeah, of course, if you make it about, yes, we'll raise taxes, but they'll do it even more. And they were just like, oh, well, we think we're going to be able to fight it on immigration. Well, no, they're not. It's going to end up being a Labour's tax bombshell. Yes, we've gone further, because exactly as Katie alludes to, as well as the fact that we don't think that the Conservatives are going to keep these promises on spending cuts, they're not going to put it on their leaflets, are they? It's not going to be like, you know, vote for a fifth term of Tory government and then, you know, the NHS gets it. So it will, I think, come back Or even to... everyone but the NHS gets it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Listen, so I, I just feel... Even that doesn't quite... I, I just feel like the, whether the two parties want it to or not, the next election is going to come down to one in which the default assumption is taxes are going up. Who do you trust to bring your taxes up by? Who, who do you think is really sweating every marginal pound that they raise on you? Labour or the Conservatives. That, to me, in many ways, is a debate which favours the Conservative Party because, well, we can see how much the Conservative Party hates raising taxes. Every time they do it, they have a civil war, they elect someone who then (laughs) blows up the markets, right? Um, But I think that the hope for Labour will be that the Conservatives take so long to get to that position that they don't, voters don't go, oh, yeah, that's a good point. They go, oh, God, yeah, those guys are a rabble, aren't they? Because, yeah, the other sort of The interesting thing about the two parties, I would say, at the moment, is they are both led by their best available candidate to be leader. But the difference is is that the overwhelming majority of people in the Labour Party, both in the country and the party, recognise that is true about Keir Starmer, whereas a large minority of people in the Conservative Party do not recognise that is true of Rishi Sunak. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Stephen. And thank you for listening too.